This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. As David said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand days anywhere else. I mean, think about that. It's better to be in church for one day than a thousand days anywhere else. And I believe that. Amen. I believe that one day in the house of the Lord is worth it. Well, we are this morning. We're going to start a series over the next couple of weeks called The Son of Jesse. And if you know, I'm not talking about my my guys, Jesse, back here. They've got they've got good kids and everything. All right. But uh, but we're talking about this guy in the Bible. Who knows who the son of Jesse is? Yeah, all right. you know, don't be afraid. David. David was the son of Jesse. His dad's name was Jesse. And to be honest, David is one of the key people in all of the Bible. We've got some very prominent people you need to know about. You need to know about Abraham and Moses. You need to know about Noah. And of course, Jesus is number one. You need to know about Peter and Paul in the New Testament. But I'm telling you that King David is one of the main players in the whole Bible. And we're going to break down his life for a few weeks here and look at some stuff. Because the more I study about David, the more I'm glad we share the same name. And then also, but other than that, other than that, and I, I, I see things that I want in my life. I'm like, man, this guy was a, a man's man. He, he, he was courageous. He was bold, but he had a heart of gold. He was loyal. He was a giver. He was a worshiper. He was all of these things. And what, what's so amazing is out of all these great names in the Bible, there's only one guy that it records as saying, David is a man after my own heart. He didn't say that about Moses, even though Moses was a great man, even though Abraham was great and Peter and Paul and the disciples. There's only one guy that the Bible tells us where God said, I found David, the son of Jesse. He's a man after my own heart. This guy has got my heart. And what's baffling about this is that David committed some pretty serious sins. He did, a, he did a couple of very major, major wrong things. And we'll study that in the weeks to come. But even after all of that, God says, this is a man after my own heart. So we're going to take a few weeks here to study this son of Jesse named David. And there's this book that uh, is going to go really well with today's message. This is in the bookstore. It's called Qualified, and it's from Tony Cook. You know, Tony was here just a few weeks ago preaching. And this is uh, it's called Qualified, Serving God with Intention. Integrity and finishing your course with honor, because sometimes maybe we didn't get off to the best start, but it's not how you start. It's how you finish that really counts in the end. And David made some mistakes, but in the end, he finished his life with honor. And so this book is called Qualified. Uh, If you need an outline for the message today, the ushers have one. If you didn't get one just yet, you can raise your hand and grab one from them. And as you're doing that, we're going to open in prayer and we're going to study the son of Jesse. And I am so excited about this. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that we have a great church that we can come and worship you in. Lord, that we are surrounded by family, by our brothers and sisters, uh, that they're going to lift us up. We're going to build each other up today. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that as we open your word, you are going to speak to each person here. Lord, you know what each one is facing. You know what each one's going through. And I pray in the name of Jesus that we will find the answers that we need today. In Jesus' name, everybody said? All right, let's do this. So the first the first 
lesson in this series we're doing is going to be about this topic of commitment. Now, commitment, that's, you know, uh, this is, this could hurt a little bit because in some area or another, all of us have made commitments that we haven't kept. Now, we're not asking you to raise your hands or, you know, tell us who you are, because all of us, we've committed to something and then turned our back on it. But one of the reasons that I believe God said, this is David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, is because David, through his faults, was completely committed when he made a commitment. If he said, I've got your back, you never had to think of it again. David would fight to the death for you, even if it meant laying his own life on the line. He knew what commitment was. And if there's one thing that I, I find sad and that, that I see so much in our culture in 2017 is... People do not know what it means to commit to something and stick with it. Can I get an amen over there? No, anyone? People make commitments and then, you know, in relationships to, to husbands and wives, to children, to, to jobs, people make commitments, but they don't know what a commitment is because, I mean, if it, sometimes within a matter of hours of, I'm in, count me in, they're gone. They, 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 commitment is a lost moral and value in our culture in 2017, but that's not the way that it's supposed to be. God has something better than that. And if we can get this heart of commitment that David had, God can use somebody like that. And I, at the end of my time, I want God to say, here's David right here. He is a man after my own heart. And one way that I believe that I'm going to get to this level is to learn to be a man of commitment and to stick with something even when it's not easy. You know what? That's what commitment's all about, is sticking with something even when it's hard to keep your commitment. Anybody can commit to, well, yeah, I'll, I'll eat 50 candy bars over the next month. I commit to it. Like, bravo. That, that, anybody could, that doesn't take any effort at all, man. But it takes a commitment to pledge to, 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 to be in the house of the Lord every service that you possibly can. That takes commitment because even for me sometimes, things come up and I'm like, but you know what? I've got a commitment. I'm going to be there. I made a commitment to, to make it put a certain amount in this art project. I'm going to keep that commitment, even though it's not easy. I made a commitment to go play ball with my boys. And I don't feel like it right now because I'm stinking tired. And I've helped everybody else out right now. But I told my kids when I got home today that we'd go play football. So guess what? I'm going to go play football because I committed to doing it. So anyway, let's get into this. But commitment is something that God's speaking to everybody in here today. And we need to listen up. So the first thing that I see, uh, you know, an area that David was committed in was this. David was committed to his assignment. David was committed to whatever the assignment was, whether it was being a shepherd or being a king. David was committed to that and he didn't back out of it. And, you know, we all have assignments in our life that probably aren't our final destination. But how you act in this assignment determines on if God's going to give you a bigger assignment. If you can't handle a tiny little thing, why in the world am I going to give you a bunch of stuff? If you, if you can't manage sweeping the floor with a good attitude, why am I going to make you a manager? That's not going to happen. Even if I find someone, even if there's somebody else less qualified, I'm going to see if you're committed enough to do the little things. And that's where David came into play in, in such a big way. My first job, I fried chicken. Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, I've got a chicken fryer over here. Let's hear it. Chicken fryers of the world unite. But I, man, 18 are the craziest months of my life. I was frying chicken. And, uh, you know, I got to admit that I didn't leave that job every day feeling accomplished. And like, you know, I had really, you know, I, I didn't have a, a sense of destiny and purpose at that time. But 
What? Thank you, Mommy. She, she says I smelled like grease when I got home. Thank you, Mom. That's all right. I, okay. So, uh, but, you know, I, I determined that even though, you know, I'm wearing this little visor and I'm not, I'm not feeling really great about myself, I made a commitment that I am going to fry chicken and I'm going to marinate gizzards and livers and I'm going to do it to the absolute best of my ability, no matter, you know what I mean? I made this commitment. And so guess what? Every day I showed up on time and I became the best chicken fryer on the south side of Martinsville, Indiana. I marinated more gizzards than anybody you've ever seen. And guess what? God blessed me for it. And that wasn't my final destination. I, I knew, like, this isn't my life's calling to, to you know, to fry gizzards and, and, you know, scoop potatoes. But guess what? Because I was faithful in that, of course, God brought along bigger and better things. But God sees the heart. How are you acting in your current position and your assignment? Your job is an assignment. Do you do it with the right attitude? Or do you go in there every day? Oh, I hate this place, man. I can't believe this. God, could you please give me a better job? God, could you please give me promotion? I'm claiming promotion. Yeah, you can't even keep a right attitude with the little things. It's not going to happen. So David's first job was not glamorous or exciting. And nobody saw really what he was doing. Nobody was there to pat him on the back and say, you're doing great at this, man. David's first job was watching sheep and goats. Sheep. Have you ever came across a goat? They're the most annoying animals in this world, okay? I got attacked by a goat when I was about seven years old. It was not, not a good experience. But goats, man, they are nuts. They're nuts. And so David, his job was to look after sheep and goats, but he was 1,000% committed to the sheep and goats. David gave, he laid his life down for, and everyone else is thinking, are you serious, man? For that thing? For a sheep? He laid his life on the line because David was committed to what he was doing. And so he may have been called to be a king, but he took shepherding just as seriously as ruling a kingdom. He was called to be king and he was anointed at an early, he was anointed as a teenager. It was a long time before he actually became the king, but he had this call in his life. He could have said, man, I'm going to be the king someday. I'm going to play with these goats and sheep. This is stupid. Find somebody else. You pay anybody minimum wage and hang out with the goats. I'm out of here, man. I'm going to be a king someday. And that's what so many people do. But if he hadn't been committed and faithful to chase the sheep and the goats around the field, when that was his job, there was nothing glamorous about this. But he was in it for the right reasons. And he had a right heart before God. And so if you can't be committed to watching sheep, God is not going to promote you to be in the king. He's going to pass over you. Even if you've got all the potential in the world, even if you've got so many things going for you, God will pass right over you if you can't keep your commitments on the most basic level. Commitment is something that David had. And so we're going to take a look this morning at the first mention that we have of the son of Jesse and of the whole Bible. Let's look back here at 1 Samuel chapter 16. Thanks for the, your, uh, your holy silence this morning. We, amen. It's good stuff. All right. First Samuel chapter 16. And so there was this king of Israel. You, you may know this story named Saul. Right. And so Saul was really tall, really strong and apparently very handsome, according to scripture. And so by every by every, uh, you know, thing on the list, it was like this guy is the perfect guy to be king. He's a great fighter. I mean, he's a leader. But Saul, God ended up saying, you know, he doesn't his heart's wrong. We we're going to have to find somebody else. And so God uses the prophet Samuel 
to go and anoint the new king. And so he tells Samuel, hey, go, to this, go over to Jesse's house and one of his sons is going to be king. Now, Jesse had a bunch of sons, seven or eight. And look at this, First, king, uh, first Samuel chapter 16 and we're going to look here uh, at verses 6 through 11. So he gets there and Samuel's talking, uh, talking to Jesse and says, When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. This was David's big brother, Eliab. This guy looked like he was built for battle, looked like he was a leader, looked like he had every qualification. And so Samuel walks up and he's like, Oh, this is going to be easy. It's probably this kid right here. Look at him. This, this is going to be the guy right here. He, he's perfect for the job. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wow, that's that's a dynamic scripture right there. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He says, don't listen, don't don't pay attention to how strong he is, how tall he is, how good looking he is. That's that's not what I'm after. I'm after what's on the inside. And Eliab is qualified physically, but his heart's not right. I rejected him. Don't even talk to him. So keep going here. It says, then Jesse told uh, his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. And so he's starting to think, man, this is a dead end. I came to the wrong place. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he's like, I must have, I must have missed it, man. Is this all your sons? So look at verse 11. Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. Notice that his own dad didn't even include him in the count of qualified candidates out of his own children. He's like, here's all my sons. He didn't even, he didn't even mention that he had this other kid. So David was very obviously not by outward appearance qualified to, to be the next king of Israel, his own dad didn't even consider him to be a candidate. His own dad didn't consider even mentioning that he existed to the prophet. And so he's like, well, I do have one more technically, but he's the youngest and he's out there playing with the sheep and goats. Are you, you want me to bring him in? And so he brings him in and, uh, and Samuel says, send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. And so they bring little David in from the fields. And God says, that is going to be the next king of Israel. Samuel anoints him right on the spot. And he is chosen to be the next king. Now, it was a long time before he became king. But he had to stay patient. And a lot of us, maybe God's spoken in our hearts. God's called you to something. You've been anointed for something. And you're getting impatient because it's not quite God's time just yet for that thing to happen. But David, he knew. God said, you're going to be it. So he stayed committed to God for years and years through trials, through storms, through, through great victories, through all of it. But it wasn't quite God's time for him to be king. But he held on to that promise in his heart. And God said, one of these days, it's going to be your time. And that time did eventually come. And King David to this day is known by all of Israel as the greatest king they ever had. They Even to this day, the Jewish people love and revere David. He became the best man. But 
It didn't all happen at once. He had some commitments to keep. And so our first mention of David in the Bible is he's a little kid that plays with sheep and goats. There's not a lot of potential there. Don't even bother looking at him. Look at everybody else first. He was the absolute last resort and option, the last choice of his own family. But let me show you something. Why was David qualified to be king? Well, let's look over here at chapter 17. Now, 17 is the chapter where he fights and defeats Goliath, but that's not the story we're looking at today. But I'm going to show you something about when David was talking to King Saul, because because David shows up to the fight and says, hey, I'll go fight him. Saul says, no, you're crazy. You play with sheep and goats. Get out of here. Goats are crazy. We don't like you. And, then you know, get out of here. And he's all David, you're not qualified. Get away. But David says this. David tells something very revealing about himself. And first Samuel 17 verses 34 and 35 But David persisted, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. This man was willing to fight a bear with a stick to save the life of a stinking goat. That's commitment. I wouldn't do that. I don't like goats anyway, but I there's no way in the world that I would go against a bear with a stick or a, or a lion or anything, man, with a stick to protect the life of a sheep. That is stinking commitment. That's insane. And he said, yeah, man, when they turn on me, I catch it by the jaw and I start clubbing it. To death. Like, can you imagine seeing this fighting a bear with your with your bare hands, grabbing it by the mouth and beating it over the head with a club? To protect a sheep and a goat? I don't get it. But guess what? That is commitment right there. That's commitment to your job, even though he did this knowing that this is not his final destination, that God's called him to bigger things. Even though he knew that God had called him to be king, he still would lay down his life for his assignment. And God eventually said, this is David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? Because one day God's own son would come and be willing to lay down his life for his assignment, just like David was. How willing are we with our lives? I mean, God's probably even asking you to lay your life down. He's just asking you to show up. He's just asking you to keep your word on stuff. Are we committed enough to do that when David was willing to die for a stinking sheep and goat? Wow, that's commitment. And this is why God said he's a man after my own heart. And and so don't expect, man, that God's just going to bring promotion and, and prosperity and everything else upon you if you can't keep your commitments that you've made. And so David is the man after God's own heart. And God promoted David because David proved he was faithful in the little things. He proved that he was willing To watch sheep and goats, even though he knew he was going to be the king someday. And again, so many people, I'm better than this. I'm I'm going for the manager spot. And they won't even do the littlest things without complaining. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And he says, you know what? There's a lot of people I can promote right here. This guy's got the education. He's got the experience. But he has a nasty heart. I'm not, put, I'm not going to promote him. I'm not going to make him something. I'm going to go over here with somebody else. Don't make God pass over you for promotion in life because your heart's not right. The first step is making a commitment and sticking with it. So David was committed 
to his assignment. And number two, David was committed to his word. David was committed to his word. David would rather die than break a promise that he made. And, you know, we, we see several covenants that David entered into. You know, and, and we're going to look at his covenant with Jonathan. But, but David would rather die than break a promise that he made. I wish people were still like this. No, I mean, nobody trusts anybody. You want to, you got to get a co-signer to buy a stick of gum. They don't, you know, they don't trust nobody. You know, can, we need character references and, and, you know, can, can you promise this, this, and this? We need your mother, mother's maiden name and, and all this stuff because nobody trusts anybody because it is such a culture and generation where nobody's word means anything anymore. I mean, I, I, do I sound like the old guy lecturing the kiddos here? Let's get real though. Let's get for real for a minute here. Does your word carry any weight at all? Or do you just say stuff and like, oh, he doesn't mean it. I'm not going to count on that. You know he never he know he never keeps his word. Are you that guy? Are you that woman? Don't be that way. When David made a promise, he would rather die than break his word, even if it was something little. Parents, are we keeping our words to our kids? Husbands, wives, are we keeping our words to our husbands or wives? Are we keeping our word to God when we say, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, you can count on me. Do we keep our word to God? I do. I'm, I mean, that's, that's between you and God. Do you keep your word? Or does God say, oh, she said it, but I, no, I know she doesn't mean it. Let's, let's find somebody else. Let's not be like that. David was a man that was committed to his word. And so we'll skip ahead a little bit in David's life here. You know, chapter 17, David faces Goliath. He beats the giant. That's great news. And David quickly becomes the most popular man in all of Israel. Everybody wants, you know, wants to know David, wants to somehow be in contact. I mean, he walks through the streets and he is a celebrity everywhere, everyone. And they start this chant, you know, King Saul was a man of war. But they said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands. And it makes King Saul furious. He is so mad because this is a man with a massive ego and he stops at nothing to try to kill David. Him and David had had a great relationship before. David used to play the harp whenever Saul was going through depression and torment and, and, and it would help him out. David was a great servant to Saul, but eventually Saul despised him, hated his guts and chased him through every cave in Israel trying to kill him. But the strange thing was, is that Saul's own son, Jonathan, was David's best friend. They were best, best friends. And they made this covenant together that no matter what, no matter what my crazy dad does, no matter what comes to this nation, listen, we're going to be, I'm sticking by your side. But let me show you something, part of their covenant in chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20. So David was absolutely a man of his word. He had flaws. He made some mistakes. But listen, if he made a promise, he kept his word. So David was committed to his word. First Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 through 15. And so him and Jonathan are talking. They, they, you know, King Saul is hot on David's tail trying to kill him. But Jonathan sneaks in one of these times and, tr- and has a conversation. And this is Jonathan speaking right here as he's talking with David. He says, and may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. And so he says, listen, if I die first, I want you to still treat my children with the same faithfulness that, you, that you're treating me with. 
And so they make this covenant. They make this promise. They make this oath. Whichever one of us dies first will take care of the other guy's kids. You have my word. It will happen. And so later on, years later, King Saul dies via suicide on the battlefield. He kills himself. And, and his son Jonathan dies in the same battle. And so do all of Saul's other sons. There's no, no one there to take over the throne. And so, obviously, we already know David's going to be the next king because God said it. But all these guys are out of the way. And David eventually becomes king. And years and years and years later, all the way in 2 Samuel chapter 9... David remembers this oath. He had no obligation to remember this because pretty much all of Saul's family and relatives had had died at that point. There was basically no one left of his line. But look at 2 Samuel chapter 9 because I'm going to show you what a man of his word does. I'm going to show you what a man of integrity, a godly man, a man of honor does. 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1, David at this point, he had, nobody was there to even witness that they had made this covenant. This was between the two of them. But when you're a man of your word, you remember it. Second Samuel chapter 9, it says, One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So I, he didn't owe Saul anything at this point. Saul, he honored Saul while he was alive, but Saul died and Saul had been nothing but, but an absolute terror and nightmare in David's life. But one day, years later, David's king. He's in charge of everything. He's got a great kingdom. He's established a city and all this stuff. And he says, is there anyone related to Saul that's still alive that I could still keep my word to Jonathan that I made all those years ago. And someone tracks down, there's one left. Jonathan had kids and they're gone, but there's one son left named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And so, yeah, that's worth, that's worth repeating. So Mephibosheth, he, he was a baby and an accident occurred the day that his own dad died. Uh, the, the nanny or whatever, did, they dropped him and he became crippled. And so his whole life, he's been crippled. He can't walk. Both of his feet are, are completely useless. He, 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 can't, he can't survive. He, nothing. And so his people that were in charge of him moved him to this bad part of the desert called Lodabar. And Lodabar is the absolute worst possible piece of real estate in Israel. There's nothing good there. It's basically like Death Valley. There. And you can't grow anything. There's hardly a water. Nothing is good about Lodabar. Nobody has any good connotation. Lodabar is where you go to hide out if you're on the run from the law or if you just basically have no purpose for living anymore. You go to Lodabar and it means place of no pasture. And the Hebrew people took it as to mean the place of no hope. You went to Lodabar when you basically had no purpose for living anymore. And that's where this kid that had royal blood, he was a descendant of the first king of Israel, a son of Jonathan. He was living in the absolute worst part of the entire country as a, as a poor, desolate person just rotting away. It's an awful place to be. And so look down here. We're going to skip down a couple of verses here to verse 7. And so David tracks him down, and David himself shows up in Lodabar. And they're thinking, what's the king doing over here? This is, this is crazy. They're all scared. Uh, verses 7 
and 8 of 2 Samuel chapter 9. So he's talking to Mephibosheth is terrified. He thinks the king's there to get revenge for what his grandpa did. But look at this. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I guarantee you, Mephibosheth had no idea that David had made a promise to his dad. No one was there to see this promise. But David shows up and says, hey, I'm not here to kill you. I'm here to pull you out of this dump, man. I made a promise to your dad, and I'm going to keep that promise. He says, I'm going to give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you'll eat here with me at the king's table from now on. Wow. Do you think a king of a nation owned a lot of property? Do you think the king had a lot of riches? Do you think the king had a lot of resources and wealth? And this guy's lived in total poverty and depression and a bad, bad, bad environment his whole life. And then one day, because David was a man of his word, he tracks this kid down. And he says, you're getting ready to get everything that belonged to your king, grandpa. Every piece of property, every bit of money, everything, it's going to be in your name. And from now on, you're not eating alone anymore. We're going to put you up. You're going to be one of my kids. You're sitting at my table every day for the rest of your life. You will never live this way again. Can you think about how life-changing this must have been? Why? Because David was a man of his word. If he made a commitment, he was going to stick to it, even if nobody else knew about it. That is, that is the type of commitment that God's looking for. No wonder God could say, I know he's made mistakes, but he's a man after my own heart. Because when he, when he makes a promise, he keeps it. When he makes a commitment, I know he's going to do it. He didn't, man, he did not have to do this, but he tracks this kid down and he changes his life. Verse eight, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and said, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Do you see how this place, these surroundings had tore this guy down to the core where he looked at himself? He's like, I'm useless, man. I'm a dead dog. Why are you even talking to me? I'm a stinking dog. I don't deserve to even talk to you. Why are you showing me such kindness? I'm a useless, dead dog. Because he let his surroundings and his circumstances get a hold of his heart. And some people, they've let their circumstances and their surroundings get a hold of their heart. And David's son, Solomon, would one day write in Proverbs chapter 4, chapter four Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4.23. David's son wrote that. But this is what happened to Jonathan's son. He had let his circumstances get control of his heart. And he didn't see himself as being a, a descendant of the king. Being one of the most wealthy families that had ever existed in that nation. He saw himself as a dead, useless dog. David changed all of that just like this. And so let's keep reading here. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba. He found one of Saul's servants and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants, you're to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. He's like, here's some land. You go farm the fields, give the money to him. He's going to be your master. He's your boss. Now you answer to him. You take care of everything he needs. And verse 11, Zebra replied, yes, my Lord, the King, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the King's own sons. 
that's what it means to keep your word. Nobody ever would have known other than David and God that that promise had been made. Jonathan was dead. He was long gone. But David and God still knew what had taken place that day. David was completely committed to his word. And if we're going to be anything at all like David, we've got to learn to keep our word. And when we make a commitment, we keep it. And one thing that I've learned is this, is that people that don't even put any value on their own word, they don't usually value the word of God either. You have a hard time believing God's promises are true when you're just so used to broken promises all the time. You have a hard time, you know, your, your, own, your word's good for nothing. And whether you realize it or not, whether you would admit it or not, after a while, you, you have a very hard time believing the words of God, the promises of God, because you're not used to words being kept. You're not used to promises that have been made being kept. And after a while, you have a very, very hard time Believing and accepting the word of God. And that's, that is not what God's will is for your life. He wants you to keep your word. But even worse than that, parents, I always go to parents. If you don't keep your word, it starts to affect your children. They say, this guy doesn't, he makes promise. He never, he doesn't mean what he says. How am I supposed to believe that the Bible says this? Your own children will start to doubt the word of God because you are their example. You are the one that God put right there to be an example to them of what the heavenly father is. And we're all flawed. We're all imperfect. But we've got to learn to keep our word because after a while, your kids are going to have an extremely hard time believing the word of God if they can't believe a thing that their own mom or dad says. Don't be in that position. I heard uh, Reverend Kenny Gallon. He's a great friend that comes and preaches at this church. But he said one time he promised his son for his birthday. All right. When I get home, we're going to the store. You pick any bike you want and, and you can have any bike. Just you pick it out. This is your birthday. You can have any bike you want. And he had scrolled through the store and looked at all the bikes that were on eye level here. And they were all like 50 bucks. But he gets to the store and, and his son doesn't look down there. His son looks up at like the several hundred dollar bikes. And his son says, I want that one right there. And, his, and, and Reverend Gallant's thinking, okay, that's like a lot more than I was thinking of spending. I, I was looking down here, but he didn't tell his son that. All he said was, all right, go get the manager, get that bike down. We're going to keep it. And even though it stretched him and it hurt in the pocketbook, he said, I am not going to let my kids think that God's word's no good when he promises something because they can't trust me. I made a promise, any bike you want. You can have, just go pick it out and it's yours. And I made that promise, so I'm going to keep it. And so he kept his promise, even though it hurt. And we as parents and as grandparents and, and just people in general, man, we have got to learn to keep our word, especially in front of our kids, because they see you as, as, as the one that God sent into their life, whether you realize it or not. And if your word's no good, don't make it hard on them later in life to believe the word of God. Don't make it difficult for them to pray. Don't make it difficult for them to want to serve God and go to church because they don't think that anybody's word's good for anything. When David made a commitment, he stuck to it. And that's one of the reasons why he was a man after God's own heart. So number one, David was committed to his assignment in life, whether it was being king or being shepherd boy. Number two, he was committed to his word when he made a promise or a covenant with someone. He kept it. And number three, David was committed to God. 
David was completely committed to God above all else. And you know that David wrote a lot of the Psalms, the majority. But look at Psalm 16. Let's look at something David said later on. Psalm 16. Are we getting anything out of this this morning? I see the wheels turning, so... I, I, see, I see some of this going on, so I know we're going somewhere right now. But Psalm 16 and verse 2, and David, he, I mean, if he lay down his life for a goat or a sheep, you know he's going to lay down his life for God. And so we're, here we are, Psalm 16, verse 2, David writing says, I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. And so David wasn't just saying, I, I, I know you're real. I, I acknowledge your existence. He was saying, no, you are my master. You tell me what to do and I go do it. You tell me what to say and I go say it. You are in charge of me because I'm giving you my life. And listen, God's not your master until you make him your master. There's a lot of people that, you know, oh, yes, 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 I believe in God. And listen, that's not that's not it, man. It's making Jesus your Lord, not just your Savior. There's a lot of people that have accepted Jesus as Savior, but they've never made Him Lord. When someone's your Lord, when someone's your Master, you do what they say to do. You lay down your life and say, whatever whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to go do it. Whether I like it or not, I'm going to go do it. And David said, you are my Master. Every good thing I have comes from you. And I know that much. Every good thing that is in my life is from God. There is not one good thing given to me that I don't credit to God. I don't care any dime. Even if I worked for it, God gave me the ability to work for it. He gave me two hands. He gave me two feet and a head. He's the one. He gets the glory for everything that I have in my life. There is not one thing that I possess that I'm dumb enough to say, I got that. I made that happen. I earned that. That was through my strength. That was through my intelligence. That was through my ability. God gave me the ability, and I'm saying that for everybody here. You better know, Psalm 16, too, that every good thing you have comes from God. Because guess what? If he didn't give you the air that you're breathing through those lungs, you would not have made that happen. Every good thing. And so David said, listen, I'm not dumb enough to say that I'm king because of how great I am. You are my master. Every good thing that I have has come from you. And so David laid down his life. And David was so passionate in, able, in being able to describe himself. And, and I think that's one reason why, why there's, there's a lot more written about David than a whole lot of other people in the Bible. Well, David, he was one of those rare guys that could express his feelings. Women, can we get an amen? Yeah. I'm not one of them. But there are, there, are, there are men that can't, you know, describe how they feel and express their feelings. Most men, though, we struggle with this, you know. Uh, it's just hard. I'm going to, should I tell the story, honey? All right, I'm going to go there. So, just to, just to make you appreciate the real David even better. So, you know, guys, we struggle a lot of times with, expre- I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but I know that I'm not. But it's just like, you don't want to necessarily talk about how you're feeling that day, right? You're afraid because your wives are... I get it. So anyway, I get it. You don't want to say anything at all right now. But that's fine. I'll, I'll step out there and do this. And so, you know, I, I'm working on being able to express myself and say how I feel and be more like King David because he would just lay it out out there on the line. And so, it's about the first of the year. Katie says, okay, let's share our feelings. What have you been thinking about lately? And I'm like, 
do you want to know? And, and she says, yeah, I'm, like, I'm just going to lay this out there. I've been thinking about getting a yo-yo. And she's like, what? That's what's on your mind? I was like, yeah, you know, I've been looking at, you know, some of them getting a Dunkin' yo-yo. And she said, you're serious. That's what's on your mind right now. Yeah, I, you asked, you wanted to know, I have been thinking about getting a yo-yo. And so, Amazon Prime, baby, two days later, there's a yo-yo on my doorstep. And so, she thinks that I was meaning this in a symbolic way. Like, so I, she, she gives it to me, and I open it up and start, you know, walking the dog, you know, around the world. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, you bought me a yo-yo. I wanted a yo-yo. I thought it was like symbolism. You wanted it on your shelf. I said, no, I wanted to play with a yo-yo. Listen, maybe I'm shallow, maybe I'm not that deep. But if you want to know, I mean, I just laid it out there. And so that was my attempt to express myself. And my there was no hidden message there. I was life is up and down. It's like a yo-yo world. No, I, I just wanted to play with the yo-yo. I think they're really cool. And by the way, I'm getting pretty good with that yo-yo. And, and you know, so but listen, David was not like that. David was one of those rare breed of men that could just express how he was feeling. And you read the Psalms and, and he, all the time he said, Lord, I, I feel downtrodden. Lord, I feel like this. Or other times, Lord, I feel I feel like this. And he expressed himself so well. And, and, and I wish I had that, but praise God, I'll get there someday. Um, but I want you to look at something in the New Testament here. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. So David was committed to God. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And so people all the time make commitments to Jesus, and he'd kind of try to throw them off a little bit. You sure you want to do that, man? You sure you want to commit to follow me? You sh- and people, I'll follow you everywhere you go, Lord. I'll bet you will. We'll see. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And you think Jesus would say, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Well, if you keep reading, verse, verse 58, Jesus replied, hey, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have any place to lay his head. Think about that. And so this guy's like, oh, geez, wow. Then, then somebody else, you know, I'll follow you. And Jesus calls someone out, hey, follow me. And this guy, I'll follow you, but I got some business to take care of first. Let me go. Let me go deal with my issues and then I'll get back to you. I'll be over there. But Jesus says what I think is, I mean, boom, we're dropping the gavel right here. Look at verse 62. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. And Jesus, he just, he lays it out there. Jesus told these guys, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jeez, that is rough, man. Jesus says, I get it. And this guy, this one guy was like, let me just go take care of my family, bury my parents. And, and, and after they're gone, I'll, I'll come follow you. I'll follow you everywhere. And he says, anyone that makes a commitment and then looks back isn't even fit for the kingdom of God. That is some bold, hardcore, no kidding around, for real truth right there. He said, you make a commitment to God and then look back on it, you're not, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. We're going to find somebody else. 
that is stinking harsh. And I'm not saying that to make anybody feel bad today. I'm saying that for us to examine our lives and see, am I keeping my commitments? And if we're going to be anything like David was, we're going to have to seriously examine our commitment to God. It's not the easiest path following Jesus. There's resistance, man. There is resistance when you are following Jesus, but it's always the best way, man. In the end, it is always the best way. And so Jesus said, if you make this commitment and then look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And, you know, as I said earlier, Psalm 8410, David said, better is one day in the house of God than a thousand days anywhere else. I'd rather I would rather if I had a thousand days left on this earth, I would want that one day to be at church. I would want that one day my last uh, 24. I would want it to be in the house of God. Man, this guy's a king. He's rich. He gets whatever he wants, man. And he says, I'd rather have one day in the house of God than a thousand days with with people serving me, people feeding me, people giving me whatever I want. One day in the house of God. And that is an absolute commitment. If you want David's results and his blessings, you're going to need his commitment to God. And you think, that's impossible. No one can be that committed. Yeah, you can. Absolutely, man. It's all about our hearts. And if you want the results and the blessings that David got, you're going to have to do what David did. You know, I, I saw this church sign. Somebody sent me a picture of this the other day. It said, don't say you'll go to jail over your faith when you won't even go to church for it. Dude, that like hit me between the eyes. Like, whoa, jeez. And I mean, I seriously, that is that's just keeping it real right there. Man, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. I will serve you. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. I, you know, and we asked this old question. If it was a crime to be a Christian, would you, you know, would there be enough evidence to convict you? But, but seriously, don't say that you'd go to jail. You'd die for your faith when you won't even go to church for it consistently. Again, not making people feel bad. This isn't the day to, we're talking, we're getting real here. If you want to be like David, you're going to have to be, learn to take the truth without getting, you know, hurt and, and, and cry about it. Let's, let's just keep it real for a minute here, okay? David got so many blessings and rewards and things in his life, but it's because he was a man that was committed. No matter what it took, he kept his word to people and to God. And so David would lay down his life. And there's three ways that I'm going to say here to, to step up your commitment. Three ways to you can start proving to God. You don't need to prove it to me or anybody else. You're, this is between you and God. To, to, to be committed. The first thing is, this is so, so simple, read your Bible. And I, know, I get it. A lot of times we're like, well, I don't know where to read Listen, we're here to help. We're not here to make you feel bad. We're here to help. That's why every month we've got a, a daily reading plan. Every single month we come up with a daily reading plan to give you something to read every day. It's, it's on the website. It's on Facebook. It's right up there in the lobby. Pick it up, man. And if you just don't know where to read to get started, just start off with that. Read your Bible every single day. This is the Word of God. The second thing is pray. Man, pray. Just start there. And I know a lot of people, I don't, well, I don't really know how to. Just start talking to God, man. It doesn't mean, matter if it's ten minutes long, two hours long, or if you, if you pray for two minutes. Start talking to God. How do you build any relationship? Well, by, by communication. Start praying. Start talking to God. And, and the third thing is this, that I want to say, come to church. Come to church. And 
and that's, that's for your benefit. Okay, it benefits everyone else when you're here too, but that's for your benefit. And I've, I've, been, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, the people that I've seen that have come from really bad circumstances that have made it, that have actually made it, are the people that have surrounded themselves with the family of God. I've got Jesse, right? Jesse right there. You know, this guy... <laughs> The first time Joe, I don't, you don't mind me sharing anything about you, but no, but, but my brother Joe, the first time he met Jesse, Jesse was walking into a facility handcuffed because Jesse was getting straight out of prison going into the facility and Joe was there. My other friend Jesse back there, first time I met him, he just came off the streets. He was homeless. You know what? But guess what these guys did when they, when they, when they gave their lives to Jesus, they said, no, I've got to surround myself with the family of God. They made it. They baptized themselves into the body. And, and I've seen so many other people come in and out of the doors that had gone through much, much less. But these guys actually made it. Why? Because they made a commitment that, you know what, there's nothing good for me out there. I have got to keep myself surrounded by these people. And I'm telling you, we've got a family here that we want to surround you. We want to be your family. We want to be your people. We want to be it for you. But... As I tell people, I mean, I'm not going to go down there and force myself upon you. That's up to you. If you want to be a part of this family, I can promise you this. You will be surrounded. You will have hundreds of people that have your back. And we will lay down our lives for you to help you out. Those guys did it. I think of Austin and Katie. The first time I met them, they had just lost their child. But guess what? They made it because they got in here. They gave their lives to Jesus. And they said they surrounded themselves with the family of God, and they made it. And here they are several years later at this point. And so these things that I'm trying to tell us today about commitment, I'm saying this because wouldn't it be great if we had a whole bunch of people like King David? Wouldn't it be great if we had a church full of King Davids that they made a commitment to God and they kept it? They made a commitment to their children and they still did it even when it was hard. They made a commitment to, this isn't my favorite job in the world, but praise God, I've got a job. So I'm going to go in there every day. I'm going to shine these floors like, like, like God himself was coming down here for lunch. I'm going to clean these dishes. I'm, I'm going to cook this food like Jesus is eating it. I'm going to give a thousand percent every single time because I made a commitment. If you'll hire me, I'll do a good job for you. I'm your man. And you made that commitment. And so you still keep it even when you don't feel like it. If we had a church full of people like that, look out Barstow. Look out High Desert. Look out California, man. Look out world. If we got a whole army of people that were like King David. And the first step before he ever killed a giant was he took care of sheep. He stayed committed to the sheep before God chose him for the giant. And so maybe right now you're still on sheep level. That is totally fine. You stay committed. And one of these days, if you're faithful in that, God's going to bring a a, a giant, great, great honor thing in your life where you're going to be able to do something great and huge for God. But it starts with commitment. Are you committed to what he's calling you to? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.